studying the, the book of First Timothy. Uh, before we do, I just want to mention one thing. Um, on Wednesday nights, as was mentioned earlier, two things I want to mention actually. On Wednesday nights, we are working our way through uh, a book study, a book uh, uh, called uh, uh, A Simple Guide to Experiencing Miracles. It's by J.P. Moreland, who um, is actually a professor of philosophy at, at uh, uh, Talbot Theological Seminary. But it's, the book's not written that way. I don't think like, oh, we're in a philosophy class. This is about actually learning how to pray and, and seeing God move through our prayers. And uh, we've, it's been a great time this, um, this week. We're opening a new chapter. So if you haven't come out, this would be a great time to come. It's a brand new chapter. We're going to be talking about hearing God's voice. How do we hear God's voice in our lives? And so it'll be, uh, that's a commercial for Wednesday night. Join us at 7 o'clock. There's a Spanish Bible study going on at the same time. There's youth ministry happening at the same time. So come join us. Other thing I want to mention is uh, immediately after service, uh, is our connect groups. Connect groups right over in this room over here. And you all are invited. We invite you to come out. Love to have you be a part. There's also a connect group for the youth that's going on at the same time. So um, uh, again, if you've not joined us for one of those, it's a time where we get to really to chat with one another. We get to ask questions and d- dig a little deeper into the things that we're talking about and studying. So that said, we are working through the book of First Timothy. We're doing a Bible study together. Is that good? Okay, a couple of people are excited about a Bible study. <laughs> this is the Word of God. We're going to get. We're doing this Bible study together, and, and uh, we're studying the book of First Timothy. First Timothy. Paul wrote uh, three letters towards the end of his life. These are called pastoral epistles. Is what the the fancy name we give them. There's three letters. Two of them to Timothy. So he had wrote First Timothy, then Titus, and then Second Timothy. Probably. Um, in that order, which is why I have them up that way. And somewhere around A.D. 62 to 66, not long before he was beheaded, as tradition tells us. And so in this letter, just to give us a quick overview of the letter as a whole, and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump into it. Uh, and I suggest this overview I've, uh, um, is an overview I really just took off of Bible Project. I highly recommend Bible Project. You get a great synopsis of just about any book in the Bible you want to look at. You know, they're short videos. They're, they keep your attention. They're, they're packed. They're, they're good for that kids would watch and adults with, can watch. They're really packed. Anyway, overview of 1 Timothy is this. It's Timothy's commissioning. Really, chapter 1. And he's what? He's going to confront corrupt teachers and their strange teachings. And the book's going to end with Timothy's commissioning again. And he's going to uh, confront corrupt teachers and their desire for wealth. So that's 1 and 6. And in between, right after that, is a poem of praise. And after the poem of praise is the instructions for the, to the Ephesians. Proper, proper uh, prayer, proper behavior for men and women, proper leadership. And then another poem of praise. And then after that poem, there's, again, instructions, and he's correcting bad theology. He's talking about care for widows. He's, confront, he's talking about how do you confront older men? What is the, the proper uh, uh, way of living? Christian slaves, transfer, how do we transform the societal order? And, and again, like I said, he finishes with Timothy's con- commission to confront the corrupt teachers and their desire for wealth, and finally closes with a poem of praise. So that's, that's the whole book. So it's like, okay, we did it. You can go home now, right? No, don't leave yet. There's more. In between there, there's more. So what's going on? So what, what we're going to look at today, uh, uh, hopefully, Lord willing, and by God's grace, is five points at the passage we're going to look at today. One is this, and this is just review. Love 
is the visible expression of one's invisible faith. Number two, faith is the good news of God's, faith is in the good news of God's victory over sin and death on behalf of sinful humanity. Number three, our sin separates us from God in his love. Our sin separates us, but it's our unbelief that keeps us separated. Number four, but grace overflows. And then finally, number five, fight the good fight, live out the faith, demonstrate its truth by a life well lived in that grace. So that's kind of the pattern we're going to follow this morning, or we're going to start to follow this morning. We'll see how far we get. Um, so the first, first expression is this, love is the visible expression of one's invisible faith. Faith is invisible. And so this letter, and we, uh, this is just kind of review. We really covered this last week. Paul's writing this letter to his spiritual son. Timothy's been told to stay in Ephesus while Paul goes to Macedonia. Timothy's dealing with some false teachers, and he's to bring sound teaching. And Paul's contrasting the false teaching with the sound teaching. He's going to raise up elders. Now, what's interesting about this letter is it's both a personal letter to Timothy, and it's meant to be read in public. And so as a result, Timothy is being, uh, uh, Paul is saying that, that Timothy is coming in Paul's authority. But then, as we'll see, and we'll develop it even more later, Timothy is commanded to live out his own calling and his own authority. So, and this all flows from Jesus. This all flows from the Lord. So he's dealing with false teachers, dealing with false teaching. And what they're trying to do is get people to connect to God outside of faith. Outside of faith. Um, And they're errantly using the scriptures to do this. Now, um, and so... He, Paul deals with all that. We looked at all that last week. And in the midst of, middle of all that, Paul says this. Rather than doing that, what we're to do is we are to be stu- uh, have a stewardship from God that is by faith. Stewardship. There is a way that God orders life. And we're to live that by faith. And what does that look like? This is the aim of our charge is love. That issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So what is he saying? He's saying this. He's saying real faith leads to love. Real faith leads to love. Love demonstrates a life that's ordered by God. So if someone says they have faith, which is invisible, then they will have love, which is visible. I mean, they will, yeah, they will have love, which is visible. Love is the visible expression outwardly of what's inward. So faith isn't just about believing a set of concepts up here. It's about living a life that demonstrates what God's done internally. All right, now the false teachers, they were using the scriptures. They were using the law. And Paul was saying, look, the law is good. In fact, in Romans, he says it's good, it's holy, it's just when it's used lawfully. And the way the false teachers are using it, they were using it, they were twisting it. They were using it in the wrong way. And and what what Paul demonstrates, he says, look, this is what the Bible demonstrates. When we look at the nation of Israel, when we look at the law of God, we look at this law, it's good, it's holy, it's just. And you look at Israel who received this. And what did Israel do over and over and over again? They kept sinning, they kept sinning, and they kept sinning. God kept coming in. So what is that showing us? What is that demonstrates? And he talks about this in Romans, really develops it in chapter 3 of Romans, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's what Paul's getting to here. And he goes down this whole list. And rather reading the list, I'm going to describe what this list describes. He says, apart from faith, 
apart from walking with him, when we look in the law of God, that mirror that is the perfection of God, what do we see? We're culpable violators. We're insubordinate to God's authority. We're impious. We're blatantly wrong. We arrogantly reject God. We're inappropriate in worship. We bring what is foreign to God into our worship. We're extremely depraved. We're committing crimes against humanity. We're sexually immoral. We're involved in all kinds of sexual activity outside of biblical marriage. Uh, we're slave traders. We're deceivers and we're oath breakers. And if that didn't cover you, he adds the phrase and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. If you didn't see yourself in the list, he adds that whatever else. Anything else? And what is that sound teaching? See, he's contrasting false teaching with sound teaching. What is sound teaching? Sound teaching literally means teaching that produces health. That's what sound means. Healthy teaching that produces flourishing. So that brings us to the second point. And this is really, really where we're getting into the text. Uh, that's, that was all what we covered last week. Into the text, it says this. Faith is in the good news of God's victory over sin and, the death, and death on behalf of sinful humanity. Say, so listen, let me read the text. This is what he says. He says, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. He says, sound teaching, healthy teaching comes how? There is a gospel with which I have been entrusted. It is the gospel of the glorious God who has blessed us. What is that gospel? It's the good news. What good news? God has victoriously overcome. He has injected himself into this world. He has erupted into this world, and he has overcome sin and death. That's sound teaching. That's what produces health in us. And he says, this is the gospel in which I have been entrusted. What's Paul doing? When he says, I have been entrusted, you got false teachers who have taken it on themselves to be teachers of the word, whereas he's saying, this is something that has been granted to me by God. He's contrasting himself. And he goes on in the next verse. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his surface. Do you notice something in that sentence? Look at something here. Over and over and over again, at the center of the gospel is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, our Lord, a title that's used for God. I thank him, Jesus Christ, who has given me strength. Who? Jesus Christ. Because he judged me faithful. Who judged me? Jesus Christ. Appointing me to his service. Who? Jesus Christ. Jesus is at the center of all that is healthy, all that is productive, all that overcomes sin and death. And Paul says this in the next verse. He says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Paul's saying, listen, I blaspheme the Holy Spirit. If you, if you turn over to Philippians, he gives his credentials. And what does he say in his credentials? He says, look, he says, when it, if, it, if you want to look for somebody who was doing it right by the letter, that was me. I was doing everything right by the letter and ended up being a blasphemer. Blaspheming the holiness of God, the holy name of God, the holy things of God. Why? Because I was persecuting the very body of Christ. I was insolent man means violent person. I was a violent person. But I received mercy. I received mercy. Why? Because I was acting in unbelief. I wanna, this brings us to our next point. Unbelief. How many know that it's our sin that separates us from God? 
The love of God, it says, we, you who are dead in your trespasses and sins. So the wages of sin is death. When we sin, we separate ourselves from God. As a result, we enter into death. Death entered in from the beginning in sin. But it's not your sin that keeps you from God. It's your unbelief. This is huge. This is huge. Let me tell you how huge it is. Heard a story recently about a parent who literally rejected their child because their child was caught in sin. My goodness, rather than judging one another for our sins, we should be encouraging one another to have faith. What overcomes sin is faith, not judgment. Look, does that mean we accept it? No, it's not about accepting it because Jesus didn't accept it. He died for it. It's grace, it's mercy that overcomes it. How many know the scripture that says, mercy is greater than judgment? Rosaria Butterfield was a, was a lesbian uh, professor who was an activist um, who was leading protests against believers and against anyone who would uh, 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 be opposed to, um, her, to her agenda. She was teaching students how to do this. And she started on a two, three-year journey where she was studying the Bible, studying the Bible, because she was going to write about the Bible. And she was uh, 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 introduced to this pastor who kept inviting her over, inviting her over, inviting her over. And finally, she comes to Christ. Her life completely changes. I highly recommend looking her up, reading her books. Amazing, amazing testimony and story. And people keep asking her, when did they talk to you about your homosexuality and he said he never talked to me about it that wasn't my problem my problem was unbelief once I came to believe everything changed so I want to ask you a question this morning as a believer or unbeliever what's your unbelief keeping you from what are you struggling with in your life what are you dealing with Bring that to, to the grace of Christ. I, I was once sitting with an individual talking to him about things I was struggling with. And he says, and he was asking me about my testimony and things that were going on in my life. And I, I told him lots of things. He says, wow, you've really walked in a lot of faith. Why aren't you walking in faith in this? The writer of Hebrews talks a lot about this. This is what he says. He says, take care, brothers. I'm back up before I said that. Jesus marveled at those around him. Why? Because faith, uh, unbelief keeps Jesus from working. Did you know that? Wait a minute. I thought God was sovereign. He can do anything. He will not act if we don't choose to receive. We just heard that this morning. Pardon is only good for the person who receives it. We just heard that this morning. In case you don't believe me, look at Mark chapter 6. And he could do no mighty work there. This was in Nazareth. This was his own hometown. Except that he had laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. He marveled because of their what? Sins? Unbelief. He went about, he already knew about their sins. That's why he was there. And he went about among them. Jesus Christ standing in their midst right there. The one who spoke and everything came into existence. 
guess what? He's right here right now. We're no different. If that's not true, then we don't believe God's word. It says you are the temple of the living God. He's either present here now with us or he's not. There's no in between. Do you believe? Not up here. But to where it changes you. Writer of Hebrews, take care, brothers. Who? Brothers, take care. Who? Brothers, believers, Christians. Take care, Christians, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. I'm not here to mess with your theology. I'm here to tell you what the Bible says. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see, that's what sin does. Sin comes to, to, to lie to us and trick us out of our belief. It comes to, let me say it again, it comes to lie to us and trick us out of our belief. That's what the beginning of the Bible is all about. Has God said Lie to you and trick you right out of your belief. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to use God's word and twist it to do it. Just like the false teachers are doing right here with Timothy. For we have come, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Confidence. If we hold on to our faith and we don't let go no matter what we see, no matter what's around us. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now, when was that rebellion? He tells us. For those, for, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Who were they? Was it not all those who were in Egypt led by Moses? When they were in Egypt, Moses, they saw the miracles one after the other. They saw the Red Sea part. They, they were there on Passover night when the firstborn were killed. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? What was the sin? They didn't believe. Ten times from the time they came out to, to finally not re refusing to go into the promised land. Verse 18, the, the Hebrew says, And to whom did he swear they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? Wait a minute, I thought you said it was unbelief. Oh, disobedient? I'm not, what do you mean disobedient? What's, what's obedience got to do with belief? Verse 19, So we see that we, they were unable to enter in because of unbelief. Just coupled together, disobedience and unbelief. So we put obedience in the category of works, of doing things, and we take, well, that's not really much God's grace. No, it's not about earning it. It's about, I believe and therefore I live. But he doesn't leave it there. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. He's saying that's the same sort of thing we face right now. 
For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce the division of soul and spirit, that which we can't divide. Those that we argue theologically, is there a soul, is there a spirit, is there a soul and a spirit? Where's the division part? We don't know, but God's word does. That's how sharp it is. That which is able to divide joints and, and marrow. If you take a bone, you cut it in half, in the middle is marrow, and the outside is bone. When does it stop being one and begin to be the other? The word of God knows. The word of God knows, and what else does it know? It is able to discern not only our thoughts, but our intentions. Paul says, I don't even know my own intentions. But the word of God does. And he says this, guess what? None of us, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I tell you, I read scriptures like that, and it makes me shake literally in my boots. Because I believe it. I believe it. But he doesn't leave us in this place. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, belief, Draw near to the throne of grace that we may have received that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. But grace overflows. There's two kinds of questions we can ask. Two kinds of questions. Is it wrong to ask questions and to, to wonder? I don't understand this. I don't understand that. No, that's not wrong. God wants us to do that. We're supposed to struggle with those questions. It's wrong when we take those questions and use them to shipwreck someone's faith. We're to bring that authenticity. We're to bring those real struggles and those real questions we have. Where? To the throne of grace. Jesus, I don't understand this. Jesus, this doesn't make sense. Jesus, I come to you because only you have the answers to the things I can't see and understand. But grace overflows. And Paul says this, though, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Notice again, he just couples faith and love. The inward work that is lived outward, that was demonstrated in the person of Jesus, that is the grace he wants to give you. It's not something he's expecting you or me to go do on our own to somehow earn him. He wants us to come running to him that his grace would fill us to empower us to live what he's done inside of us outwardly to example him. And Paul said this, he said, this is a trustworthy saying. Deserving a full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe him for eternal life. What's he saying? He's saying, listen. That list that I was talking about, that's me. And finally one day he helped me to see that that was me. And when I saw that was me, I saw the grace he offered to wash, to cleanse that away, to change me. And he says, guys, if that's, that's the gift he's put it within me. That's the message he's entrusted to me. And that's the message I'm here to give you. And if, it, if you see 
who you are before God and the grace he offers you as a result. It, uh, I am the ultimate example, he says, of the mercy God gives. I'm a messenger. I'm an apostle. I am sent one. Even though I was that, I am now this because of the grace of Jesus. And his very next verse is this. He says, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Do you see what he does? Right in the middle of his letter, he stops. He stops everything and he just starts to worship. When he stopped long enough to reflect on who he was, what he had done, how far he was from God, and the grace that overflowed in his life to bring mercy into his life, to transform him, to change him, to give him a meaning and purpose that transcends this world, he could do nothing less than praise God. What's your response to the salvation Jesus has given you? Does it well up in praise in your heart? Are you grateful for the grace that's overflowed on your behalf? I'm going to tell you what, this is the key to walking out with longevity the Christian life. There are a lot of people who've come to Jesus for a feel-good moment. There are a lot of people who've been in a service and a speaker speaking and they come to Jesus and they, they, it just, they, they felt his love, they felt his presence and they went forward and said, I want to give my life to that God. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what sustains this is realizing what he's done on our behalf. Because there are going to be mornings I wake up and that feeling's not going to be there. There'll be mornings they're going to wake up and there's going to be false teachers trying to shipwreck my faith. I'm going to be facing issues and struggles. You see, Dr. Solomon McDowell talks about this. He talks about some well-known leaders in the faith who have walked away from the faith. And he's met with them. He's talked to me. He says, why? What, what, what is it that shipwrecked you? Why did you walk away? Where did you go? And he says, one of the things that he found really fascinating is everyone he talked to, when they came to Christ, they didn't come to Christ because they realized they needed a Savior. They came to Christ because of what Jesus and how Jesus made them feel. And then when they look in the world and they see the evil, they see the suffering, they see the destruction, that feeling doesn't sustain you. But when you realize that all of that destruction, all of that evil was right here. That's what needs saving first. That sustains you. That's what Paul's telling Timothy right here. It's what causes him to break out. I'm going to stop right here this morning. I want us to just take some time just between you and the Lord. Where are you in your salvation with Him? Right, just close your eyes. This is just private time between you and the Lord. Where are you in your salvation with the Lord?
Have you seen the darkness that's in every one of us? Or are we caught up seeing the darkness that's in others? Have we brought that to the king of the ages, the immortal, the invisible God, who carried all of that to the cross for you and me? Have you let his grace overflow in your life? Can you in this moment well up in praise for God? God. 